This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're very excited about the fact that in our second segment today, we're going to talk about uh, alien worlds, alien life, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and all kinds of fun stuff. The National Geographic Channel aired a couple of great specials uh, last weekend, Naked Science, Alien Earths, and Naked Science, Hawking's Universe. And Naked Science series is pretty good in general, and these are uh, two great topics, and Seth Shostak will talk with us about them. It's going to be fun. Stay tuned for that in segment number two. In the meantime, let's begin the show as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 27th of August. It was on August 27th in 413 BC during the Peloponnesian War that the Athenian fleet, attempting to withdraw after a defeat by Sparta, witnessed an eclipse of the moon. Considering it a sign from the gods, the Athenians stayed, but the delay proved fatal and the fleet got trapped. Of course, those were in ancient times when people believed in things like astrology. Sooner or later, we do have to talk about Joan Quigley and her astrologic work done for the Reagan White House. But for that one, we're going to need, I think, the right guest. So stay tuned uh, for some future installment of this program. On this date in 1783, Frenchman Jacques-Alexander César Charles launched the first practical hydrogen balloon. The hydrogen balloon era pretty much came to an end in Lakehurst, New Jersey in 1939 with the blowing up and burning of the Hindenburg. There's a lesson in that. If you're going to go up in a balloon, make sure the gas you're using uh, is not flammable. On August 27, 1859, Edwin Drake struck oil at 67 feet down near Titusville, Pennsylvania. It was the world's first successful oil well. And, of course, nothing was quite the same after that. And on August 27, 1883, the world's largest explosion, at least in recent memory, occurred on the Indonesian volcanic island of Krakatoa. Heard 2,000 miles away, the explosion threw 5 cubic miles of earth into the sky. The disaster killed 36,000 people and led to a Hollywood disaster the next century called Krakatoa, East of Java. A provocative name for a movie to be sure, but geographers do note that Krakatoa is in fact west of Java. This was actually pointed out to the filmmakers who said, well yeah, but East of Java sounds better. Well, the day comes from Charles F. Kettering, who once said, The difference between intelligence and education is this. Intelligence will make you a good living. A quip of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who said, Colleges in India have banned all women from wearing jeans. They say it's to protect them from sexual harassment. Seems like it would be easier to ban sexual harassment. A joke of the day comes from someone referring to the Woodstock Reunion, taking place 40 years after the big event of 1969. Apparently it was attended by many people who were there for the original event, where it was a claim that some wag got a hold of one of the stage mics and announced, Hey, be careful out there. There's apparently some bad brown antacid. And the sad part is that most of you probably don't get the joke, if, at least if you're under 40 in the original Woodstock. I mean, if you have to explain the joke, you know you're in trouble. 
But in the much beloved uh, film and uh, and record uh, from the original broadcast, uh, someone announces hey, there's some bad brown acid out there. Don't take it. Be careful. Shouldn't have gone there to begin with. Anyway, now that I've slowed the show down, I think we need a bonus quip. Uh, so we'll use this one from Wilt Chamberlain, who once said, you know, nobody roots for Goliath. Why don't we see if we can't jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for patience. This is so appropriate for today's show. When it was announced that an Australian website started transmitting text messages to Gleesey 581D, the closest planet outside our solar system thought likely to support life, or at least possibly could support life. Problem is, the estimated delivery time of the message, 20 years. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for free speech when it was revealed that the head of a Florida County Health Department has been fired for speaking out about the dangers of eating donuts. Apparently, Dr. Jason Newsom of the Bay County Health Department lost his job for offending County Commissioner Mike Thomas, who, in fact, owns a donut shop. And apparently, it was an ugly week last week for making up for your transgressions when it was revealed that a Nebraska man who stole a painting of the Virgin Mary to finance an abortion for a teen he raped got convicted for first-degree sexual assault and felony theft. According to this story, Aurelio Valladio Sanchez of Omaha pled no contest to the charges last Friday and faces 70 years in prison for fleeing to Mexico with a 300-year-old painting worth $100,000 and a pregnant teen. After an abortion turned out to not be possible, the teen returned to Nebraska after giving birth, and the painting got sold in Mexico for $3,000. I love the, uh, the headline put on this little news blurb. Virgin Mary Art doesn't save, rape, doesn't save rapist from justice. All right, a couple items from the Only in America file. Dateline, Allahabad, India. Apparently an Indian crowd protesting the detention in the U.S. of a Bollywood superstar burned President Obama in effigy last week. Apparently, Shahrukh Khan, known as the Brad Pitt of India, was questioned by transportation security officials for about two hours at Newark International Airport before he was allowed to fly to Chicago. TSA agents, it said, may not have realized that Khan was a movie star. Angry fans supported by Indian politicians demonstrated across India to protest what they call the case of racial profiling. But here's the part I like best. Khan was in the U.S. to promote a new film, My Name is Khan, about the profiling of Muslims in the U.S. in the wake of 9-11. And that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, has to be the definition of irony, eh? And we have some follow-up on our story last week about how Bob Dylan got detained in New Jersey by a couple of 20-something cops. Said one of the officers who detained Bob Dylan, I've seen pictures of Bob Dylan from a long time ago, and he didn't look like Bob Dylan to me at all. Well, maybe not, but he was. <laughs> but I love the call. Probably the call that went into police was that an eccentric-looking old man was wandering the streets. And as follow-up of something that we gave a good review to some time ago, that would be uh, Tom Cruise's movie Valkyrie. It was suggested by the Sacramento Bee uh, last week that you probably shouldn't invite Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise to the same World War II conference. 
Pitt, who stars in the newly released Inglorious Bastards, slammed Valkyrie and offered uh, the following criticism while praising his own latest work. The Second World War could still deliver more stories and films, but I believe that Quentin put a cover on that pot. He goes on, With Bastards, everything that can be said to this genre has been said. The film destroys every symbol. The work is done. End of story. When the, the, apparently the reporter for the German magazine Stern mentioned Cruz's Valkyrie, which, by the way, we gave two thumbs up to, Pitt simply said, it was a ridiculous movie. You know, for that, Mr. Marillion, I think we're going to make Brad Pitt our jackass of the week. Yeah, we're going to have to stick to that, even though there was some competition this week from Michael Vick, who's back in the NFL after killing dogs, and the usually tight-lipped Dick Cheney, who's announced that he's coming up with a book about uh, his career in public service, and he's letting letting it be known that he cannot stay quiet about what he considers the moral weakness of the administration's second term. Moral weakness, of course, to Dick Cheney means suspending the use of torture, seeking congressional approval for domestic surveillance, and refusing to pardon his aide, Louis Scooter Libby. Boy, we, we can't wait for that authoritative tome to come out. And uh, speaking of politics, apparently the, uh, the Afghan election outcome has been clouded by claims of fraud. President Hamid Karzai is claiming victory over his challenger, former Foreign Minister Abdullah Abdullah. There is some suspicion, there is some suspicion related to this election since the authorities over there, the American authorities in particular, really want to see this, you know, kind of just go through and re-elect the president. I tell you, for my money, what really makes me suspicious is the fact that some of the key provinces controlled by Brother Jeb Karzai, vicious vote swings. We're going to have to look into that one. Now, let's talk about water. Article by Seth Bornstein, reprinted in the Sacramento Bee, noting that there's some surprisingly warm ocean temperatures um, this last month. In fact, they set the all-time record. According to the article, people swimming off the coast of Maine found the water to be 72, whereas Ocean City, Maryland hit 88, which is toasty by Miami Beach standards. Yeah, it turns out July was the hottest uh, the world's oceans have been in almost 130 years of record-keeping. The Gulf of Mexico, that uh, the place where hurricanes like to traipse through, has temperatures dancing around 90. The Mediterranean is apparently up by 3 degrees, and the heat is most noticeable near the Arctic, where water temperatures are as much as 10 degrees above average. You know, and if there's anyone listening to this program who still has doubts about global warming, please, noodle around the web for a while. It's real, it's man-made, and uh, there was an excellent show on National Geographic a few days back talking about the, the gravest threats to mankind and global warming made the number one on the list, ahead of potential nuclear annihilation. It is a real deal, and, uh, you know, if we don't get off our butts and start doing something about it real soon, the world is going to be in big trouble. What can you as an individual do about it? Well, listen to this program. <laughs> We've gone through all sorts of potential solutions and things we could do over the past uh, months and, and years uh, talking about this, and we'll do more of it in the future. And this might be a good time to mention that uh, unless we get, you know, some help from nuclear power, we are sunk, folks. And it is about time we did some follow-up with uh, Tom Bleese, whose work on the Integral Fast Reactor uh, was chronicled by us on this program and through his website uh, and book, Prescription for the Planet. 
But uh, no, in The Economist, they're talking about how the monsoons are, are way behind in certain parts of India. And, you know, given the population density of that country, this is causing starvation and all kinds of problems. But uh, closer to home, let's, let's go back and talk about uh, the eco-disaster looming a few miles away down in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta of California. We've talked about this problem a lot on this show. California has too many people now, and uh, a lot of interest would like to see even more come here, and they want to build houses for them, and they want to ship water to them, and we're talking mainly about Southern California. And uh, there's a nefarious plan afoot to ship more water south, stick a bigger straw into our resources up here in Northern California, and just send it down to uh, the San Joaquin Valley and Los Angeles. So I must say I was very disappointed by the Sacramento Bee Sunday, August 23rd article about all of this. I was particularly dismayed by the article titled, Daunting Task, But Delta Issues Manageable. Written by Jay Lund, Peter Moyle, and Ellen Hainak. Unfortunately, I have to report that also contributing to the article were Jeff Mount and Richard Howitt, who are with the Center for Watershed Sciences at the University of California, Davis. When I start reading an article with things in it like, Bipartisan legislative leadership is needed to oversee this enormous transition in the Delta. The state needs to move from acrimony to action and develop a successful policy strategy for the Delta. Such a strategy must recognize that no matter what we do, much of the region will change. You know, I hate to even, I hate to even give this article uh, attention because it does say some, you know, intelligent things in it, but, you know, it still is talking about how we have to change and this, uh, this transition the Delta is going to require, you know, some big thinking, meaning the peripheral canal. And a much more intelligent uh, comment about the peripheral canal was made by Bert Wilson on the same page of the B. Mr. Wilson was involved in the effort to strike down the peripheral canal uh, back in 1982. And I love the one-sentence summary at the top of his piece, which, which really, really says it all. A peripheral canal won't make any more water. It will just send more of it from north to south. Mr. Wilson said, Despite all of this Delta in crisis talk, the issue today is actually the same as it was back in 1982. It's a water grab, pure and simple. The only thing that's changed is that Big Ag in the Central Valley opposed the peripheral canal in 82, fearing it would not get enough water. Today it is supporting it for the very same reason. Go figure. Over the past nine years, the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California has been taking more water from the Delta, but it's still under its allotment. So when all the propaganda from both sides is cleared away, we find that the Southern California Water Agencies, instead of clearing up their own aquifers, instead of instituting a vast water reclamation policy, which is the cheapest way to add to the water supply, are relying on the Department of Water Resources to keep sending more Northern California water south. Will this solve the Delta's water crisis? No. And he closes with the line that started, the, started his piece. Remember, the peripheral canal cannot make more water. It can only convey more Northern California water south. We've talked with Dan Bacher about this before, and, uh, and, and Matt Weiser's done some excellent pieces in the Bee uh, on water management. And we hope we'll bring both those gentlemen back on to discuss this. This is a, uh, this is a water grab Pure and simple, as Mr. Wilson points out. We're also going to see if we can't get Burt Wilson on this program. Sounds like a pretty level-headed fellow. And it may be good at this point to mention that the opinions that you hear voiced on this program do not 
necessarily represent those of KDVS, any of our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. Speaking of opinions, here's a guy who's never short on them, our pal, Will Durst. Thanks, Doug. And today I'm just wondering, what the hell is wrong with these people? The crazies with the guns at the town halls complaining about the healthcare reform death panels is who I'm talking about. Before any of this started, an internal memo revealed that the GOP planned to go for the kill on healthcare. But as they say on Law & Order, any resemblance to actual persons or events is strictly coincidental. You can understand why they're leery of public health care. It's painfully obvious they have intimate experience with the failures of public education. The programs that have everyone in a tizzy are the end-of-life consultations. They're pulling the plug on granny. No, they're just talking about pulling the plug on granny. Besides, if these protests are any sampling what home life is like, maybe Granny wants her plug pulled. Ever think of that? Anybody bother to ask Granny? Well, that's what these consultations are all about. Maybe Granny doesn't want to spend a couple of decades impersonating a large, fleshy, antiseptic log with a feeding tube up her butt. Maybe Granny wants to leave her eyes to science, or her teeth to art history, or her cherry 76 Chrysler Cordoba to Greenpeace. And this is where you can get stuff like that out in the open. People die. That's what they do. All of them. You. Me too. And no offense, but Granny is probably gonna go first. I bet she's already lived through this with her Granny. But death is like sex, man. Everybody knows what's going on, but you're not allowed to talk about it. Or even look at it. And God forbid someone else talks about it. Quick, everybody, hands over your ears. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Folks, we got plenty more on this program. Stay tuned. You're listening to Radio Parallax, and I'm Douglas Everett.